I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks in a holding pattern ahead of what some are calling the most important economic data of this month, the September jobs report. Plus, stocks trying to snap a four-week losing streak, but J.P. Morgan says investors, they may not want to hold their breath. And it could be the deal of this year. ExxonMobil reportedly set to buy Pioneer for as much as $60 billion. Plus, MGM, it puts a price tag on its September hack attack. And then later in the show, ChatGPT looking to take on the hand that feeds it. We will explain that one. It's Friday, October the 6th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Hollins. Get you ready to start your day on this Friday. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after modest losses yesterday. Take a look. We're kind of mixed right now. We're seeing the S&P and the Dow both fractionally lower, the Nasdaq fractionally higher. But again, as we always say, it's early. Kind of a mixed bag for the week heading into Friday's session with the S&P 500 on track for its fifth straight week of losses. That's its longest losing streak since May of 2022. You see for the week, only the Nasdaq just just barely holding on to gains, the Dow and the S&P in the red. We're also checking the bond market this morning. Yields coming off recent highs, but still elevated across the board. The benchmark right now at 4.74. The two-year note yield still above 5%. You have to look down here at the 30-year, the long bond. That's creeping up back towards a 5% yield. Remember, this is an important indicator for both inflation expectations and also investor confidence. So all of this is the lead up to September's employment report. Economists expecting U.S. employers, they added 170,000 net new jobs last month. That's down just very slightly from last month ago. The unemployment rate, however, expected to tick up very slightly. Uh, I mean, sorry, tick lower very slightly to 3.7 percent. Last month, it was at 3.8 percent. We're also looking at the energy market this morning. Oil on pace for its worst week since March. Right now, take a look. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, back well below 90 bucks a barrel. Flat right now at 82.31. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark. Again, also below 90 bucks a barrel at 84.03. Fractionally lower right now, basically flat. Big moves in the natural gas market right now. Up one and almost a quarter of a percent right now. Something we'll continue to watch throughout the morning. All right, time now to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is here for us on this Friday. Pippa, good morning. Good morning, Frank. A major deal could be in the works in the oil sector. Reports say ExxonMobil is in talks to buy shale driller Pioneer Natural Resources in a deal that could be worth as much as $60 billion. The acquisition could be announced in the coming days. A deal would potentially be the world's largest this year, topping Pfizer's $43 billion takeover of CGEN. It would also be Exxon's biggest acquisition since it merged with Mobile back in 1999. OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, is reportedly exploring making its own chips. Reuters says it's gone as far as evaluating a potential takeover target. OpenAI has discussed other options, including working with, more closely with other chip makers like NVIDIA and diversifying its supply chain beyond NVIDIA. OpenAI has declined to comment. And MGM Resorts expects the cyber attack that shut down its casinos in Las Vegas last month will cost the company more than $100 million in the third quarter. The incident, detected on September 10th, forced MGM to shut down its IT systems, disrupting slot machines and requiring employees to check in guests 
using pen and paper. In a regulatory filing, MGM says guest-facing operations have returned to normal. It says the hackers didn't steal any customer payment information, but did access data on people who did business with MGM before March of 2019. The Wall Street Journal reports MGM refused to pay the hackers' ransom demand. Frank, those shares down 20% in a month. Yeah, certainly something to watch. Up right now in the pre-market, we're going to talk much more about that hack attack later with Contessa Brewer. But Pippa, we'll see you later in the show as well. All right, thank you very much. Turn our attention back to the broader markets, which could be primed for a big pullback. At least that's the word from J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic, who says high interest rates are creating a breaking point for stocks. The S&P 500 on track for a five-week losing streak and is down more than 4.5% in the past month. Appearing on Fast Money last night, Kalanovic says recession risk is rising and investors, they may want to choose cash over stocks, at least in the short term. Job markets is still strong, but you are starting to see with the stress in consumer. Right? If you look at the sort of the delinquencies in the cards, in the auto loans, um, and, and basically uh, inflation is there and, and uh, um, rates are higher for longer, you know, like so this uh, thing will eventually come. Right. And uh, so then we look at sort of upside versus downside. Right. And, you know, could there be another five, six, seven percent upside in equities? Of course. Right. Uh, but if there is a downside, it could be 20 percent downside. Right. All right. Let's talk much more about this now with Alex Morris, president and CIO of FM Investments and Steve Chivarone, equity strategist and portfolio manager at Federated Hermes. Gentlemen, great to have you both here this morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So, Alex, I'm going to start off with you. Um, you heard what Marco Kalanovic had to say. Agree with him or disagree? Yeah, I, disagree. I agree. Obviously, there's 20 percent downside. That, that risk exists every day. Uh, and finally, I think uh, Marco and I agree that getting some T-bills and chilling is probably a good place to be. Uh, but everything's looking pretty washed out in this market. And there's still a very healthy supply of demand in for securities. It seems like there's an insatiable demand now for 90 and 60 day treasuries and, and good. That's, that's good news for T-bill and X-bill. But I don't know if the stock market needs to go down 20 percent to prove out all these theses to be correct. At some point, that's the trade you want to take. Maybe that's not today. But as you start to look at unwinding duration and as you you think about what's going to happen in 2024, it seems like there's still a lot of positives for the economy that we will see and that the financial economy just might be washed out of the metrics, but is still pretty vibrant. And it's going to be a good place to be later in 2024. All right. T-bill and chill. I haven't heard that one. You might want to drop some merch. That might be popular right now. Steve, I'm going to come over to you. Uh, Agree or disagree with Marco Kalanovic? And how does it shape your view of Q4? Yeah, look, I I think certainly higher rates for longer present a risk to the economy. We know that It, it leads to higher borrowing rates. But um, historically, when the Fed pauses, which it looks like they're going to do after probably one more hike in November, uh, stocks have rallied on average, you know, 10 to 15, 20 percent on average when the Fed has paused. And if you look over the last 40 years, Frank, the S&P 500 hit a record high every time the Fed has paused. And so, look, are conditions for recession starting to accumulate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the issue is timing. Uh, it could be six, nine, 12 months away. And, and I don't think that equity upside is, is capped at five or 10%. It could be a number much higher than that. Really? And so, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, look, it, again, historically, what you've seen when the Fed pauses, particularly if unemployment hasn't picked up, and we've got a report coming today that's almost certainly going to show that it hasn't picked up meaningfully, is you've had S&Ps that have hit all-time highs because the market, whether or not it, it is right or not, tends to price in a soft landing 
when the Fed pauses. And okay. so, yes, but we've Steve, had I want to ask pressure, you. but... But see, yeah. I want to ask you, is the bond market pricing in a soft landing? I know you were, you were talking history just a moment ago. You're also looking yeah. at some history and some new precedents being set in the bond market, specifically the inversion between the two and the 10-year yield. So kind of explain your thesis on this. Um, what's the history that we're seeing, and, and doesn't that only signal recession risk? Well, usually, yes, but there's a wrinkle here. So it, when, when, the, when, the, when the yield curve inverts, that's usually an early warning sign for recession. And then when it uninverts, when it re-steepens, that's a sign that, you know, you're, you're imminent, you know, slowdown is imminent. But it's never uninverted the way that it's uninverting right now. Usually what happens is, is that short rates are falling as the market's pricing in cuts. But this time around, long rates are rising. Um, and, and what that's showing is that the market's either trying to price in higher for longer or it's renormalizing, or we just have a buyer's strike. And so it's not clear that that signal is what it usually is. This may be a recession signal, this uninversion. Where this time around, it might be saying, hey, we're recognizing that it's higher for longer uh, and that nominal GDP is going to be higher. It's a higher inflation, okay. higher growth environment. Unclear. Yeah, we continue to watch that inversion. So, Alex, back over to you. I know you're T-billing and chilling. Worldwide Exchange becoming a, a show about bonds recently. So mm-hmm. when you're T-billing and chilling, is it the short end or is it the long end? Well, certainly right now, investors are buying the short end products that, that we offer. And, and that's made sense for a long while. But increasingly, we see folks extending duration. Steve pointed out this is a re an uninversion that's necessary, and it needed to happen this way. And it's also a Fed who, as opposed to trying to stimulate an economy, is actually still actively trying to destroy job creation, which is a very strange place for them to be. So as we see the long bonds come out, and there are a lot of folks right now, particularly younger analysts who are running to their dictionaries looking up what is a long bond and wondering, you know, can their Excel spreadsheets have interest rates that don't start with a zero or a one? This is what it looks like. Long term, the long bond at five isn't an absolutely insane number. Even the tens at a four or five is not a terribly bad place for us to be. So wait, when you say both are a pretty good place to be, are you, are you buying the 10 right now or advising clients to buy the 10 or is it the 30 or maybe even the 20, which we're not showing right now? Uh, most of our well, the twenty is always an interesting issue, just given how it's a uh, it occasionally isn't offered by the Treasury Department. So we, we've always liked the twenty, okay. but most of our clients are sitting in, in uh, six months. So what? And we six offer months. the okay. So the short end, basically the short end, and, and we see a lot of interest unwinding into threes and fives. But I don't know that I'd want to make that trade yet. As Steve points okay. out, though, you're not terribly penalized for being a few months early on that trade. You don't want to be. Six months, 12 months early, though. All right. Let's talk a little bit about equity, Steve. I'm going to come over to you right now. You say you're actually mm-hmm. buying because you do think there's more upside in this market. And what you're buying is the Russell 1000 growth. Why is this the right time to put money there? Yeah, look, you've had rate sensitive stocks get hit uh, over the last couple of weeks. There's dividend payers on the value side. It's fu- We've sign- finally started to see some sell off and kind of large growth names. You buy them for a couple of reasons. One, if you're going to have another move higher here because it's been stretched, the Treasury's kind of really sold off the equity market stretched to the downside. You could see a little snapback within growth benefits because it's gotten hit by these higher rates. But then secondly, if, you know, Marco's right over the course of 24 and the economy slows, you want big, strong cash flow generating companies that don't require a lot of external financing. And you're going to find those in the large cap growth space. And so having been underweight for most of the year, we're starting to nibble. All right. Important to note, though, uh, the IWF right now down about four and a half percent over the last month. So something we're going to continue to watch. Alex and Steve, it is great to have you both here. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we're going to continue our talk about five percent rates and higher for longer next week. Tune in for our special week long coverage starting on Monday. We're looking across several sectors of the economy. 
to see what surging rates mean for the markets and your money in the months ahead. All right, we do have a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, how the surge in online gambling is getting the attention of Hollywood's streaming giants. And then later, much more in today's jobs report. We speak with one employer whose headcount is surging. And then later, Spider-Man gets burned by Taylor Swift, where it matters most. We've got to explain that one. The full story, a very busy hour, still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures right now, swinging positively in the green, or I should say solidly in the green. Right now, the Dow would open up just a few points higher, but the Nasdaq surging a little bit right now, um, and the S&P just barely in the green. All right, time now to see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day is getting underway. Our Jamana Brissetti is in our London newsroom with much, much more on the early action. Jamana, good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, Frank, as well. Well, markets are faring slightly better ahead of that non-farm payroll print in the U.S. You can see the handover from Asia, for the most part, was pretty positive. Good rebound coming through in the Hang Seng. Remember, mainland China has been closed all of this week, so this is the only sort of signs that we're getting from those markets. Up 1.6%, pretty broad-based today, I would say. The Nikkei, the only spot of red overnight, down about a quarter of a percent. Some of those interest rate-sensitive sectors are getting hit, especially as JDB yields get very close to 80 basis points and keep trending upwards. So just keep an eye on yields and what's been happening there. As to the picture in Europe, for the week as a whole, it's been quite negative. We have all of these indices, the FTSE for the week down 1.8%, the CAC down 1.7%, the German index down 1.6%. However, today there is a lot of green on the board as sentiment has turned somewhat. We are seeing a bit of buying come through. In terms of uh, sector's performance, banks and tech are leading the gains today. But on the flip side, let me just uh, take you over to what's been happening in the food and beverage space. This is a knock-on effect to what was happening yesterday in the U.S. session, Frank. And here it's quite pronounced as well. You see the likes of Unilever down 2%, Nestle down 2.3%. And some people are saying that this is in direct reaction to the popularity of these obesity uh, weight loss drugs, uh, which entails people cutting down on buying on fast food and, and junk food, etc., which is taking a direct hit to some of these consumer goods companies, not just in the U.S., but also in Europe as well, a theme that we've been following very, very closely. So this has been the picture today. The worst performing sector is consumer goods. All right, Jamana, thank you very much. Our Jamana Brissetti live in our London newsroom. All right, we're going to turn now to the gaming sector as sports media, leagues and teams move to monetize the opportunities in the gambling industry. Streamers are now beginning just to tiptoe into the space. Our Contessa Brewer joins me now with much more on this story. Contessa, good morning. Good morning to you, Frank. Yeah, for the first time ever, Netflix has agreed to a casino licensing deal based on its most watched show ever, the global blockbuster Squid Game. The manufacturer, Light and Wonder, will show off the new slot machines at the Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas next week. And look, this is massive. It has a 90-inch display, so it will be an eye-popper on a casino floor. Players will see games from the show on it, Red Light, Green Light, Tug of War, and The Glass Tile. Remember that one? Light and Wonder also will launch a digital game for online platforms next year. I talked with the company's CEO, Matt Wilson, about taking advantage of this international streaming hit. 
How does that appeal, or does it, to a younger cohort? Yeah, it definitely does. And I think what we saw off the back of COVID, casinos were one of really, really the first entertainment experiences to come back online. So we saw a huge kind of gravitation of younger players into casino floors. So I think it's expanded the opportunity for different IPs that might connect with a different audience. I also think that with this particular property, there's some really true elements of gaming in the show itself. And we've got great game designers that can take those elements and turn them into a game that's going to really appeal to a broad audience. Look, TV branded slots really aren't new. I mean, think about the popular Wheel of Fortune games. But deals like this and deals for competitor aristocrats, NFL branded slots, they have the potential to be transformative because they attract these young adults to slots where traditionally slot players are much older demographic. And slots, Frank, make up the biggest chunk of gaming revenue for casinos. So it's a highly sought after segment. You know, and then for Netflix, it just creates a new revenue stream for a show that hit its height of popularity like in 2021. So it gives a new stream there. Does that mean that we could see like a Stranger Things slot machine next? I mean, I think that that's entirely possible. I don't, I don't know whether this indicates that Netflix has broader ambitions in the gambling industry. I mean, it could just be that they are maximizing their licensing deals. We've seen deals on hit shows like with clothing uh, manufacturer Zara. But there has been a lot of speculation in the industry about Apple TV because they have live sports now and Amazon and whether getting live sports means the next iteration has a gambling component. A la we can see the model with ESPN, right? They do a deal with Penn Entertainment. They're going to relaunch as ESPN bet. It doesn't mean that ESPN has to go around and get licensed wherever gambling is legal. It just means that now they have a big new revenue stream based on gambling. All right, Contessa, while we have you, I also want to talk to you about the MGM cyber attack we talked about earlier. A company mm. says they expect as much of a $100 million hit to the bottom line. What are you hearing? Yeah, well, I think what's important about that, they, they filed this 8K and they tr tried to put a number on that. They say, one, we don't exactly know because we don't know what's going to happen with lawsuits. We don't know what's going to happen with the exposure of the sensitive customer data. They Remember, they were trying their best to protect against the, in, the cyber intruders getting onto that customer data. It didn't entirely work. We know that some of the data was exposed, but they say so far it doesn't appear that any of it has been posted on the dark web. But could it in the future? Who knows? The third thing is because, and this is according to my sources, MGM did not pay the ransom. Could it happen in the future? The other interesting part here is that they have cyber insurance. And they said in the 8K filing, they anticipate that they will get coverage for the financial in impact here. But how much and whether there's some pushback, you can see that that might come into play. All right, Contessa, thank you very much. Our Contessa Brewer. Sure. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway unloads a critical batch of HP Inc. stock. It's just one of your big money movers, and it's next when we come back. Time now for your big money movers. That's three big stock stories of the morning. We're going to start off with Levi's. Shares of Levi's moving lower ahead of the open. You can see right now down almost 1.5% after cutting its full-year sales forecast. The company says positive momentum at its own stores and website. That was not enough to offset weaker wholesale trends here in the U.S. CEO Chip Berg telling our Jim Cramer last night 
The jeans giant is putting more emphasis on direct-to-consumer. We're really trying to get to a profitable success model for brick-and-mortar retail. And then when we've got that, we're going to start stamping them out much quicker. All right. Shares of General Motors also set to open at a fresh three-year low following yesterday's stock slide on reports. It may face a massive recall in connection with defective airbag inflators. According to The Wall Street Journal, at least 20 million GM vehicles are equipped with potentially deadly airbag parts made by auto supplier Arc Automotive. See shares of General Motors right now flat, but uh, trading at about 30-30, a three-year low. Also, we got Berkshire Hathaway continuing to unload HP Inc., selling another 3.1 million shares for $80 million on Tuesday. That's according to a regulatory filing. This latest share sale puts Berkshire's stake in HP Inc. below 10%. And moving forward, Berkshire will no longer need to quickly disclose any buying or selling of HP stock. Taking a look at HP stock right now, down almost a half a percent. All right, time now for a check on this morning's headlines outside the world of business. NBC's Jessica Layton is in New York with the very latest. Jessica, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. House lawmakers will be back in their chamber today. The two major candidates for speaker, Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan and Majority Leader Steve Scalise, will begin making their cases to their colleagues. So far, just one of them, though, has the backing of the party's presidential frontrunner, with former President Donald Trump confirming on Truth Social this morning that he will be endorsing Jordan for Speaker of the House. Now to a major reversal from the Biden administration, announcing it is waiving 26 federal laws to allow for more border wall construction in Texas. President Biden, who vowed to stop construction on the wall while he was campaigning, says the only reason this is happening now is because Congress allocated money for the wall during the Trump administration. And by law, they do have to use the money that way. And Bears fans watched last night's game with heavy hearts. They were mourning the loss of Hall of Famer Dick Butkus. He grew up in Chicago. He played his entire nine-year career with the Bears, striking fear into his opponents with his hard-hitting classic play. He made eight straight Pro Bowls, had his number 51 retired by the Bears, and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1979. In a statement, the Bears called him Chicago's son. And in fact, Frank, last night, the team said this win is for him. Frank, back yeah. to you. You know what? Uh, Dick Buckus, really a legend in Chicago, he used to live there on game day. You still see a whole lot of Dick Buckus jerseys out there. So, Condolences to his family right now. RIP to that legend. Jessica, great to see you. Have a great weekend. All right, as we had to break here on Worldwide Exchange, we have today's consumer stat. That's $17 billion. That's how much online shoppers are expected to spend using buy now, pay later this holiday season. A jump of 17% over last year. That's according to Adobe forecast. We'll see what that potential spending boost could mean for my next guest. He's hiring. And he's coming up on Worldwide Exchange when we come back right after this break. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area. And there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks getting ready to close out another turbulent week with the S&P looking to make it five weeks of losses. Futures right now searching for some direction. Key for investors today, that's the monthly jobs report. We're talking with one C-suite leader whose company is adding headcount. We'll discuss what higher rates could mean for his company's growth prospects. And General Motors making its latest labor offer to the UAW as the group prepares to give its latest look at where the worker strike may be headed next. It is Friday, October the 6th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Happy Friday. Let's get you ready to start this last trading day of this week. As always, we're going to pick up half an hour with a look at futures. You can see right now we're in the green across the board. Earlier this morning, it was a big mix. Right now, we're seeing it looks like the Dow would open up about 18 points higher. The Nasdaq doing the best out of all three indices. But again, as we always say, it is early. And we're coming off another tough week for the markets. It's down on pace for the third straight negative week for the, with the S&P. The S&P doing the worst out of all three, facing its fifth straight week of losses. You can take a look right here. You're seeing the action this week. Uh, the Nasdaq Composite meh, essentially flat, but the other two in the red this week. We're also looking at the bond market. A lot of action in the bond market. We're talking a lot about the bond market. Take a look. The benchmark at 4.73. That's the 10-year note. The two-year note with a yield back above 5%. And that long bond, the 30-year, inching back up towards a 5% yield. Remember, this is an important economic indicator. Also is a read on inflation expectations. We also want to talk energy, specifically oil, which is on pace for its worst week since March. Take a look. WTI, that's the U.S. benchmark. Negative right now. It was actually flat earlier this morning, down just about a quarter of a percent at 82.13. Brent crude, the international benchmark, just about the same, down a quarter of 1%. The action here in the natural gas market up over 1%, just slightly off of its highs of earlier this morning. All right, time now for a check with some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those. Pippa? Hey, Frank. Well, General Motors is making its latest offer to the United Auto Workers in a bid to end the group's ongoing strike. GM did not disclose details of the proposal, only describing it as compelling, saying it would reward its team members and allow the automaker to succeed and thrive into the future. That offer coming as UAW President Sean Fain is set to update members on talks at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. Fain has previously used the updates to announce new strike locations, but it's unclear if that is the case today. The White House is reportedly moving closer to setting up a face-to-face between President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping. According to reports, the administration is working on plans for a November meeting between the two in San Francisco during the upcoming APEC summit. The potential sit-down, which still needs to be approved by officials in Beijing, would come after she skipped last month's G20 summit. And the SEC is suing Elon Musk in a bid to get him to testify over his purchase of Twitter. In a legal filing, attorneys representing the agency say Musk failed to appear for testimony last month as required by a subpoena. The SEC says its investigation is focused on whether anyone committed securities fraud in purchasing Twitter shares last year as Musk was buying stock in the company. Frank, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you very much. Well, right now, the countdown is on for the monthly jobs report due out in just under three hours. Employees are expected to have added 170,000 new jobs during September. That's down from the 187,000 increase in August. Unemployment also forecasted to come down just slightly at 3.7 percent compared to 3.8 percent last month, with average hourly wages expected to hold relatively steady. Among the industries with the strongest hiring trends, we're talking healthcare, hospitality, and construction. We're also talking about manufacturing, which added more than 16,000 jobs in August. Let's talk about if that trend can continue with Matt Schwartz, chief revenue officer at Atrex Worldwide, a footwear and orthotics company whose brand partners include Nike, Converse, and Lululemon. Matt, great to have you here. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's start about uh, hiring right now. Uh, jobs report coming up. We just mentioned manufacturing. You're in manufacturing, also technically in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the hiring environment right now for you? Do you expect to be able to hire, and do you have to hire at, at higher wages? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the hiring environment for us is strong. So a headcount since January of 2020 uh, is up 28 percent. 
Um, and, you know, we've seen an easing. I think that, um, that the, like, I'll give you an example. Indeed.com published recently 15% uh, reduction in job listings on their site since mm-hmm. the first quarter of 2023. Uh, and if you picture the, the labor pool, the pool of talent being stagnant, but demand for employees going down, um, you know, that's something we see. It's, it's definitely okay. eased for the business. I want to talk wages in particular. Uh, ADP report out earlier this week. They reported for medium-sized firms that fits your company uh, between 50 and 249 workers. Um, the average increase for a retained worker, somebody who stayed there, was 6.1%. So what are you seeing for you? You have a pretty wide employee base. You have software developers. You have footwear designers. So what kind of wages, just roughly, are, are you having to pay to keep people? There is no question. There's an increase in wages across the board. So whether they're people who work in our retail division or in tech development or in the e-commerce part of the business, across the board, we've seen an increase. Uh, One of the things we do to counter that and to shore up retention is work hard at corporate culture. And uh, one of the things I think we've seen more recently is is everything's eased in terms of uh, COVID and restrictions, bringing people back into the office, having everybody face-to-face, uh, being able to do things like monthly events. We have ice cream trucks, right. dogs at work, you know, <laughs> communal areas. and We do a little of, bit of that here. Yeah, all those things are, you know, things that really impact your ability to uh, have low turnover and high retention, which we do. All right, let's talk your business also uh, in this higher-for-longer environment. So your top-selling shoe, that's the Jillian, right? Yes. So it's been the bestseller for the last eight months. I'm not that familiar. I've got to read some of this. <laughs> last month, you debuted several new styles, including the Lily, the Kristen, and the Tamara. I think some of those are named after your That's wife true. and your, yeah, my your brother's, brother's wife. My wife okay. yeah. <laughs> um, and when you put out a release, you emphasize each one of these is built on an existing platform you already had. So give us a sense. Higher rates. How does that impact your decisions for innovation and putting out new styles? And also to your customers who are mostly retailers. Your customers are your wholesale. You sell to retailers. Um, their ability or willingness to hold inventory. Give us a sense of both. That's, that's both good questions. So for our business, we have a strong balance sheet. We have no long-term debt. So interest rates have been less impactful uh, for us, really just more short-term cash flow um, challenges that are, that are relatively minor. But there's no question uh, in the business writ large for the retailers we work with uh, that carrying costs are higher. Uh, inventory levels were higher because of challenges in the supply chain uh, in 2021, 2022. Uh, so there was a reluctance. There was limited open to buy in the marketplace. Um, and that's something that's easing. We see uh, still strong consumer demand. So our sales, fortunately, are very strong. We've had consistent double-digit growth, uh, but nonetheless hidden to those headwinds. So how do you resolve that? Does that lead you to extend more credit to these retailers, or does that lead you to push more to your direct-to-consumer channels? Yeah, you know, both of those answers are true. So we work with the tools at our disposal, uh, whether they're things like terms, um, or, or good, good packages that are, you know, have incentives of different sorts. Uh, and, of course, the direct-to-consumer business for Atrex is, is crucial. It's powerful from a branding perspective and, of course, powerful from a bottom-line perspective. What well. about brick-and-mortar stores? You have one here in New Jersey. We do. Um, higher for longer right now. Does that make you less hesitant to try to open up more stores? And then also you have to staff them. Staffing is a challenge. All the retailers we work with talk about it. Uh, there are all different kinds of reasons for it. You know, the government pumped trillions of dollars into the economy coming even out of COVID. Um, people were, uh, employers were willing to spend more for people working from home. So there are more opportunities. Uh, there are, you, okay. What you hear about people not showing up to interviews and all this, but we, we've done well. We work at you know, training and making them experts, creating a great customer experience so they love their jobs. And- all right. Jobs report coming up. 
Matt Schwartz from Atrix, family-owned business, third generation right here. Um, all the shoes are named after people. I'm hoping the Frank is Frank's coming up coming. Next. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to keep that promise, but seriously, great to have you here. Uh, thanks. Appreciate it. All right, it. moving on to the crypto uh, space. Testimony set to resume today in the criminal fraud trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, capping off the first week of what's expected to be weeks of legal proceedings around the disgraced FTX founder. Our Kate Rooney's been on site in the Manhattan courtroom for all the action and joins us now with more on the key developments, at least so far. Kate, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning. So we heard from some of Sam Bankman-Fried's closest friends and FTX insider is in his uh, criminal trial that kicked off this week. The star witness this week was the company co-founder and Bankman-Fried's college roommate at MIT, Gary Wong. He has already pleaded guilty to fraud. Prosecution jumped right in yesterday asking, did you commit financial frauds while working at FTX? He said yes. Then prosecutors asked, do you see any of the people you committed fraud with in this courtroom? He stood up, kind of looked around, spotted SBF and said yes. Sam Bankman-Fried Wong lived with SBF in the now infamous beachfront Bahamas penthouse. We heard from another top FTX employee as well who also lived there. Wong testified that when FTX customers deposited money, it didn't go to FTX. It was funneled directly into the bank account of another Bankman-Fried-controlled company, that hedge fund, Alameda. All of this, he said, was at the direction of SBF. He also said Alameda had special privileges and unlimited access to FTX customer accounts. The hedge fund, he said, took $8 billion of customer funds. It also had the ability to withdraw endless amounts of money and have a negative balance, as well as a 65 billion-dollar line of credit. Wong received a million-dollar personal loan as well from the company, and a 200 to $300 million loan was taken out in his name, but he says it wasn't actually for him. That borrowed money was instead used to make investments. We do expect to hear from a lot more insiders, some investors in the coming six weeks for this trial. That includes Caroline Ellison. She's the CEO of that hedge fund I mentioned, and his former girlfriend as well, Frank. Okay, so much to unpack here. First question, is SBF, is he now the face of alleged executive criminal crypto corruption? A lot of alliteration there. (laughs) Um, Also, what about some of the high-profile celebrities? We're talking Tom Brady, we're talking Steph Curry, uh, Naomi Osaka, Shaq, literally the biggest name involved in all this. Could they be called to testify or could they also be charged? So they haven't been on the witness list, but I can't tell you, Frank, how many times Tom Brady was brought up in the courtroom this week. They showed that commercial where he says FTX is the safest place to trade crypto. They were showing photos of all the celebrity endorsements and some of the customers that testified, or at least one customer, said that that was part of the reason why FTX had a a veil of legitimacy, that they had all of these high-profile sponsors. And there was a lot of brand awareness around it. We don't expect any of the celebrities you mentioned to testify yet. They haven't been on the witness list, but they are facing their own class action lawsuits and uh, that could be right. the bigger issue for these guys. I thought it was pretty interesting. One of the ads specifically said Steph Curry is not a crypto expert. I'm sure his legal team is going to focus on that. Yeah, exactly. um, I want to talk to you about the sentiment in crypto right now. How does this impact that? And, and what have we seen when it comes to crypto stocks and also the coins themselves? It's interesting. About a year ago when all this was unfolding, it did have a major impact on prices. You saw it hit Bitcoin. There was worries about contagion and some of the lending going on. And so that absolutely hit prices. It's been pretty stable since. Bitcoin especially has been significantly less volatile. And investors you talk to are chalking this FTX case up to fraud and saying that this is a criminal case and not really saying that it has anything to do with cryptocurrency or the investment thesis. So that's also the optimist take that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency survived. Some of the issues here, there's a lot of optimistic people who see it as a separate issue and think that crypto has a long runway. But it, it definitely hit the perception 
an image of the industry. I think it's been a net negative, anyone would say, uh, for cryptocurrency. And, and those who were already pessimistic about it gives them another reason you know, not to, to want to invest here. All right. Kate Rooney in the courtroom all week long, live at the Nasdaq. Thank you very much. And for more on the rise and fall of Sam Bankman Free, be sure to check out Kate's CNBC documentary, The Collapse of FTX, Insiders Tell All. You can scan the QR code on your screen right now to watch it, or you can go to CNBC.com. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have your morning's upgrades and downgrades and shares of one fintech player. They're popping on some fresh love. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Taylor Swift breaking records in concerts, sporting events, and now on the silver screen. Tickets for her Eras Tour film surpassing $100 million for its October 13th premiere after setting the single-day ticket sales record for AMC with $26 million. That actually beats out Spider-Man's previous record. Also, who needs a team of experts when you have AI? The city of Los Angeles launching a pilot program with AI aimed at predicting who's most likely to become homeless and then helping them out before they do. And it's not just the future. AI can also get you into the past. A new social media trend is prompting people to post AI-generated 90s-inspired yearbook photos of themselves, which are then separated into categories like best dressed and most athletic. A lot of fun there. All right, much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with A.B. Bernstein initiating coverage of Disney, giving an outperform rating and a $103 price target. It says it's bullish on Disney's potential to transition to direct-to-consumer at scale, calling it the only credible challenger to Netflix. Shares of Disney right now up just about a quarter of a percent. Another coverage initiation, this time at TD Cowan with Square, giving it an outperform rating. It says it favors Square in the fintech, sp- fintech space due to its fundamentally differentiated ecosystem, adding its ability to grow an integrated solution makes it among the most likely to challenge industry norms. Take a look at, sh- at shares of Square. It's hard to say right now. Actually, block right now. Uh, up almost 1%. We also have Oppenheimer downgrading O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's rating to perform. That move coming after Citi raised its rating on the company. Something we flagged just yesterday, Oppenheimer saying pandemic-related tailwinds for O'Reilly are likely to continue to fade, thereby undermining prospects for sales and EPS upside. Shares of O'Reilly right now flat in the pre-market. And it's time for your global briefing. We're going to begin in Russia. The government there removing a large chunk of recently implemented restrictions around diesel. The Kremlin saying the move is focused on the export of diesel fuel delivered to seaports by pipeline. Russia just last month imposed an indefinite ban on the export of diesel and gasoline to most countries. India's central bank holding its key lending rate of 6.5% steady for the fourth straight time, but says it plans to keep liquidity tight through bond sales. The bank says has hiked rates by 250 basis points since last May as it looks to bring inflation down to its 4% target. And China's Cyberspace Administration Group proposing the removal of government oversight for data exports if, if regulators don't clarify what is, quote-unquote, important. The EU's Chamber of Commerce says China's proposal relieves companies of challenges faced when transferring data across borders, and if it's approved, clears a major roadblock for foreign business. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus where our next guest is suggesting just to stay on the sideline when it comes to buying these market dips. We'll have more on that when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us.
And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with ExxonMobil reportedly in talks to buy Pioneer Resources for as much as $60 billion. That would make it the world's largest oil deal this year. We're seeing right now shares of Pioneer up double digits. Shares of General Motors, they are trading at fresh three-year lows, extending yesterday's slide on reports that may face a massive recall due to defective airbag inflators. Shares of GM, however, up in the pre-market. Tesla cutting prices of its Model 3 and Model Y vehicles in the U.S. just one month after slashing prices for the Model S and the Model X. Prices for the Model 3 and the Model Y have dropped by 17% and 26% respectively since the start of this year. Hyundai and Kia announcing plans to adopt Tesla's EV charging stations in the U.S. starting in Q4 of next year. They would join names like Ford and General Motors. Also in gaming, MGM Resorts expects the cyber attack to shut down its casinos in Las Vegas last month will cost the company more than $100 million in the third quarter. Also, Berkshire selling an additional 3.1 million shares of HP Inc. for $80 billion, putting its stake in HP below 10%. Going forward, Berkshire will no longer need to quickly disclose any buying or selling of the stock. All right, here's what to watch today. At 8.30 a.m. Eastern, it's the big monthly jobs report. We'll also hear from Fed Governor Christopher Waller at noon. And then this afternoon, the United Auto Workers will hold a Facebook Live event with its president, Sean Fain. No word on if any expanded strikes will be announced during that Facebook Live. All right, the September jobs report being seen as the key catalyst for the trading day ahead. As the S&P 500 faces its fifth straight week of losses, let's dig into it all with Malcolm Etheridge. Uh, CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, good morning. It's great to have you here. Good to see you, man. All right. So a lot going on today. Jobs report, really the headline. With that in mind, what's your WEX word of the day? Yeah, so my WEX word of the day is patience. I think that uh, investors are going to want to see the last five weeks, last six weeks of market activity and decide that they want to uh, come in (laughs) and buy up these dips because, you know, uh, old habits die hard, I guess is the way to say it. But I don't think that we're there yet. I think that some patience is going to pay off because best case scenario, October, the markets remain a a bit of a rudderless ship, just kind of moving sideways and not having much activity uh, beyond this. But I think realistically, we may actually see a little bit more selling uh, activity toward the end of the month as we get more economic data and uh, it becomes more obvious that uh, what we're seeing is the culmination of these increased rates, you know, over the last year and a half. So you see things going kind of rudderless right now. I want to bounce something off you. Here's what J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic said last night on Fast Money. Job markets is still strong, but you are starting to see with the stress in consumer. If you look at the sort of the delinquencies in the cards, in the auto loans, um, and, and basically uh, you know, inflation is there and, and um, um, rates are higher for longer. You know, like, so this uh, thing will eventually come, right? And uh, so then we look at sort of upside versus downside, right? And, you know, could there be another 5, 6, 7% upside in equities? Of course, right? Uh, but if there is a downside, it could be 20% downside, right? So pretty bold statement right there from Marco Kalanovic, obviously a leading market voice. Do you agree with him that there is at least the potential for that 20 percent downside? Oh, absolutely. I'm concerned about the potential for that 20 percent downside. Right. If we just think about historically, it usually takes about 18 to 24 months for uh, interest rate increases to work themselves through into the labor market, which means that somewhere between now and the end of this year is where they should start showing up. And they usually show up in the form of decreased hiring first then layoffs. And so if we're looking for layoffs to be our marker or an increased unemployment rate to be our marker, uh, we're going to be waiting a little while. All the while, the market could be selling off 
in reaction to what's happening underneath our feet. So I definitely agree with him that there's the potential for a significant drawdown such as that. And that's why I'm saying that investors that want to jump in and buy these dips, this is probably more than just a dip. It's not the opportunity that we've seen the last couple of years. So, Malcolm, you were last with us on September 26. You gave us your Q4 pick. It was SoFi. So since then, it has been outperforming the market up, you know, over one and a half percent. Still sticking with it? Are you still is that still a name you would buy in this current higher for longer environment? So I actually added to my SoFi position since that call. So I guess the short answer to your question is yes. Um, but I definitely see it as a potential outlier uh, separate from a lot of what we just discussed. All right. By the way, I misspoke up two and a half percent since you picked it. So, you know, pretty strong Q4 pick, at least for now, in the first couple of days of Q4. Malcolm, it's always great to see you. Thank you very much. Maybe I'll see you in Austin. All right. And as we talk about rates at 5% and higher for longer, tune in for our special week-long coverage starting Monday, looking across several sectors of the economy to see what surging rates mean for the markets and for your money in the months ahead. You don't want to miss this one, this new 5% world. We're taking a closer look at it right here on Worldwide Exchange. And really quick, we're going to take a look at futures. They kind of reversed this morning. They were kind of mixed to lower. Now you see they're strongly in the green. Looks like the Dow would open up about 25 points higher. That's going to do it for us here on uh, Worldwide Exchange. Have a great weekend. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. 